Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, that's how we start this show. You are listening to a Rad Religion Broadcasting premiere podcast. Damn you, Hollywood! And here's your host, Robert Winfrey. Yay! Yeah, that's as that's about as animated and, and enthusiastic as either of us are going to get on this particular episode tonight, ladies and gentlemen, because Mark and I are discussing paranormal activity next of kin. <laughs> yeah, we are. You see, next of kin, because they're sending out notifications to all the adjacent franchises that this one has died. <laughs> Hey, if you're uh, catching us on the live stream uh, while we are recording this and, and airing it for the world, if you have comments, if you have suggestions, insults, pies in the face, anything you like, uh, throw it up in the comments section. And uh, if it amuses me, I will put it on screen and we will interact with you. Because God, God knows I, I need the distraction from this stupid movie. Yeah. You know what kills me about this? Yeah. I was like excited for when when uh, Blumhouse announced that the film the film was locked and they didn't need to wait until I think it was like the end of February beginning of March whenever it was the slave to come out the same weekend as the new Batman movie which I believe was in <laughs> March yeah, that's yeah this a, thing would have gotten that's murderized a, that's certainly a choice that they could have made <laughs> so um, but I think I, I think initially when this was conceived it was going to go to the screen and then they were like no we need content for paramount plus so they're like okay so this is going because to be they, <laughs> because they because they would need to be one level above peacock which i still maintain <laughs> is not a legitimate streaming service so they had to so um then so they they transitioned to this was going to be a paramount plus uh exclusive but it was still coming out the same weekend as batman and then they were like well the film is actually locked it's done now um, so we can actually release it before Halloween. And I like, and you know me, I'm a bit of a planner. Uh, so I'm like struggling. I'm really excited about this. I'm really excited about this because it gave us the opportunity to release all of our old, and we did like three shows on, on this franchise between the, the five films and Gem between, and the Holograms. Between two, yeah, two Long Road to Ruin installments. Right. For the first four. And then, uh, yeah, our reviews of the other two movies, I think. Yeah. No, we, we never did. Um, we never did uh, the, the one with the, uh, I think, the Mexican kids. And I, I know we didn't do that one. I, cause we, we only did the ghost dimension. Okay. Um, but I, will, <laughs> I will believe you. You 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 went to you went to review the ghost dimension and I reviewed Gem and the Hologram. That was hilarious. Um I actually went, went back and listened to that again. I, we I, I remember that. I remember that most vividly because that at that time, uh, Paramount was in a dispute with mm -hmm. every major theater right. chain in the country, basically. Which you, talk, which you talked about on the show about the distribution. And I think, you know, this, I think they were very cognizant of that with this one. In any case, so they announced, yes. Okay, get your mother. I'm clearly in the middle of something. So, um, anyway, uh, so they, um, my daughter damn threw off my train of thought. Anyway, so I was very excited to release all of our old paranormal activity mm -hmm. stuff. And I was somewhat interested in, in the movie. I wish it had been a lot better than this. Um, they, this they, very, just, you just should because... never, no <laughs> one should ever wish for a movie to be this bad. No, with, with very few exceptions. The exceptions being 
this franchise has run its course. Yeah. And we now wish for it to die and go away. Because I, that was my major takeaway from this film watching experience is that I think they have wrung all the juice out of yeah. paranormal activity they possibly can. This left. needs to either go away for a long while and then come back as a completely new, you know, reboot of you know the Katie and her sister saga. Like st just kind of re redo the original movies more coherently um if you're going to do it again or never do this again those are your choices what they should not do is is what they did with this one which is try to add to the franchise in some haphazard cockamamie way uh, completely agreed here's the other problem with this franchise and i think there's not really any getting around this mm -hmm. this would have been so much better as an anthology franchise okay right? like i they spent the first four movies trying to connect them back to this same, like haphazardly building this ramshackle monstrosity tower of cards with the most tenuous of narrative threads trying to connect everything. Realistically, if you wanted, if you wanted to continue this, I think the best way to go about it is to have nothing. One of the things I think this movie does right. One of the mm -hmm. very few things. Most of it is completely divorced from all the previous entries as far as narrative. Yeah. Then they try to tie it back in and everyone wants to shoot themselves in the head. <laughs> uh, but I really think that like, by the time we get to Paranormal Activity 3, we don't need a prequel. Right. I yelled about this when we talked about that movie. If you want to do another found footage style horror movie that uses the same kind of aesthetic and uh, setups for mm -hmm. scares that's great that's one of the things i love about the first two movies in this franchise they're great at actually building tension this is what we did talk about this we talked about you know, like why not do paranormal activity in a jail or a prison you know i, I still I, don't know why they haven't done one of these things <laughs> in a prison you have you a know, built-in excuse for security cameras right that's what we're talking about like the, the here's the thing the found footage thing needs to be more organic there needs to be a good reason all of this is being captured on film, not your stupid boyfriend filming your temper tantrums and then never puts the camera down ever, never, never. Like yeah. th that, we're done with. The, you know, so let's do you know a you know a haunted building with security cameras. Let's do a haunted it, neighborhood. It was... You know that you know that has everyone. You know everyone has like a ring or something. That was the one thing yeah. we liked about. Paranormal One, Activity 4 was the use of the Xbox Connect. Yeah, that was pretty good. It was a pretty cool thing they did. I liked the way they adapted from 1 to 2. 1 was a sort of video file trying to document weirdness, which makes right. sense. You can only do that so often. And how the first one managed to avoid the pitfall that everyone... Like, all these other films have had some moron lug the camera around for the finale. <laughs> right. The first one had the common sense to have the film, the camera on a tripod. It gets knocked over. Right. But everything else happens off screen because that's what would happen. And it's actually more effective well, than, uh, than what they've done. I think the second one, the second one was all the house security footage. Yeah. Wasn't it? yeah which, that was great. which works like right. logical next step. House gets burglarized. We install security cameras 
and that's what we're watching as the audience. Right. That's good. It's, that works. The third one is when it goes off the deep end, Little where bit, someone's yeah. running around with a VHS recorder, and it's like, come on, nobody. And that was my com my comment on the Long Road to Ruin. Nobody does that. No one and, is doing, especially when things go off the rails at the end. You drop your camera and you run like hell. You don't. You're not like. I mean, and if you're going to do that, and it, the one thing I liked about this, the one thing, at least the premise of it, you know, they were shooting a movie. They, yeah. they were trying to shoot, you know, she got snooker. I'll let you do the plot synopsis in a second. But at least yeah. I thought the premise of this thing was at least somewhat sound. She got snookered into uh, doing a documentary about what she thought was going to be her adoptive home or her, sorry, the her birth home because she's adopted. Yeah, And so she gets a film crew together and they go shoot a documentary in this what is perceived to be an Amish uh, settlement, thinking that this is going to be about, you know, how she was given up for adoption and what her family is like in the lifestyles of the Amish and famous and all of that. And then then everything goes off the rails. The problem is that you can only go so far with that, because as you were saying, once the especially in this movie, once the monster is burning and doing the neutron dance. We're fucking done. <laughs> you're like, you're not, you know, you're not like running backwards, like, ah, the monster's chasing me, you know, and you've got the camera out. Like, that that's just not gonna happen. I mean, and so that's where this stretches credulity. I was willing to go along with the I can go along with the Hang internal. On. Had they been wearing GoPros, that would have had they only done this with GoPros at the end, that yeah. would have solved that problem. Yeah. Because I... you're maybe not thinking, let me rip this thing off my head and run for it. How, how heavy is a GoPro? Hundred percent that needed to they needed a mm. scene where the problem is that and I understand this is a filmmaking problem. Mm. You don't need that much shaky cam, and then you're like whoever's running is never gonna have you know, the stuff in focus that you want to be in focus most of the right. time. So I like, again, I understand the hurdles, but mm -hmm. logically I would go with the, like there's a scene where she's lowered down to like a mine shaft. Right. And right. all on, the, you, do you want address your point then? But then we really got to get into the plot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just talking about the movie. And I, I, I will. But my point there is her camera for this is a GoPro that's attached to her head. Like right. she, she's got the, and at which point we're cool. Like, I don't, I, I don't need any, like, okay, so something scares her where a normal person would drop a handheld camera here because right. I'm dangling 80 feet down or however far into a mine shaft by a rope <laughs> and something's down here with me, you know, yeah, you're not going to be concerned with the composition of your shot. You're going to drop the camera and run for your life right. here because it's physically attached to her. It makes a bit more sense. Let me posit this. Um, I know the Blair Witch Project, and I think uh, the other one, Cloverfield, I think it was. Uh, Cloverfield is one, one, yeah. Yeah, Cloverfield. Um, I never saw Blair Witch uh, Project. I, I did not see the Blair Witch Project in theaters. Mm -hmm. So I never had the experience of that being a problem for me on the big screen. I did right. see Cloverfield in theaters, and a friend of mine, it did make sick. Um, between They also turned off the air conditioning because we went to like a midnight showing. Mm -hmm. So... The air conditioning's off in a theater with that's 80% capacity, give or take. Like it was a, it was fairly well attended. Right. And it, you've got the shaky and you've got the strobe light. Like you, you're asking for problems. Here's what I'll, I'll tell you. Um, I think 
the movie would have been served by just by biting the bullet and going the Blair Witch route where stuff is out of focus because because there's a there's one shot of this movie that is, I, it's probably the best shot in the whole thing. It's also f- stupid hilarious to me, but you but the one in the barn, the the one when you finally see the monster. When, there's a few of those, but okay. When the, 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 there's a very clear shot of the demon. Okay. That's that's chasing them, and it, and it's kind of doing one of these like, and you're you know, it's the, it's the very first what's supposed to be the holy poop. I'm I'm trying to watch my language tonight. Yeah, yeah. very much the holy poop moment of okay. the whole movie because you're really for the first time seeing the thing that is that they they they've been feeding this whole time. So anyway, the point being, it's a very clear, very vivid, very um, colorful shot, and it's meant to be so. But my point being that I think the movie is almost better served by, especially the way this one ends, if it had all been GoPro and out of focus and shaky and just nothing except that one shot was um, coherent because it might have added to what is ultimately not a... It might have provided the one scare in the movie, the one feeling of dread by from the audience in an otherwise not particularly scary movie. I think... The thing that works with Blair Witch, this is the point that I'm trying to make. The thing that works for Blair Witch is because you had so much of running through the woods with your camera and shaky cam and all of that. It provided, like, there were people feeling claustrophobic and frightened and, like, you're just sitting in a movie theater. But you're you're so engrossed by the experience, as people have reported about that, that you forget that that's happening. And, and you know, and you're truly, you're having an organic fright, um, which I think this movie went for and tripped and fell on its face. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. All right, let's do this. Go ahead and do your thing. All right, so the plot of this movie goes a little bit as follows. We're introduced to our main character, Margot. Name escaped me for a minute there. <laughs> and she is... The, she has been contacted. She's, she's been given up for adoption. She was a, uh, given up for adoption as a child. And we're introduced to her as she and a friend of hers are starting to film a documentary because she has found someone that she's biologically related to and she wants to get to know the people who are her blood. Uh, she found this uh, uh, this is all this is this story here that she's fed is a lie to try and uh, uh, reach out to her. We'll find out why in a minute. but at the time the story that she's told is uh, her cousin of some variety, someone she's related to uh, is Amish. And has left the Amish community, but he's uh, he got suckered into one, doing one of the twenty three and Me tests. You know, any number of these. You know, send us some of your DNA, and we'll put it in a loosely secured vault somewhere. Not at all potentially opening up all kinds of legal hazards down the line. <laughs> <laughs> my my issues with those types of services, notwithstanding, uh, and. So he kind of got suckered into this when he was on his Rumspringa, and she had taken one of those more recently, and they found each other, and she now wants to go figure out where she's from, what that you know, what her biological relatives are like, and she and her friend, and uh, they pick up a sound guy. They all head out to Amish country, where they meet this family, the group of people whose last name escapes me at the moment. Uh, but it doesn't really matter. They, you know, I should know that actually. Hang on. Um, Let me tell you how there's no plot synopsis in the Wikipedia page. Hang on. Uh, Baylor. 
Okay. I just find that really funny. It's true. No one's put one up. I'm going with Baylor. Okay. Uh, They go to their farm. They present as a fairly traditional Amish group of people. First attempt to make contact is rebuffed because we don't deal with the English here. And your cars and your cameras and your doodads and any of that nonsense. Um, Somehow one of the children apparently walks 20 miles to provide us with a jump scare through a bathroom window at the hotel. <laughs> Most nonsensical thing in this movie, and that's saying a lot. Uh, they return him. This earns them the goodwill of, of the patriarch of this group. So they go in. They start staying here. They start filming. They do the usual attempt to build dread. If you've seen any folk horror, all of this is very, very familiar. Uh, most notably, there is a church some ways off in the woods. That they're told, please don't go in there with your cameras. We find it mildly offensive. We're barely tolerating the existence of technology here as it currently stands. (laughs) But also, as with most folk horror, things get a little bit more claustrophobic. Things aren't quite what they seem. Stuff is a little bit out of place. They explore more. They discover that in this church, there is a big hole in the ground under the pulpit. And it leads down, again, uh, quite a ways, about 100 feet or so. There's never a specific uh, measurement given, but it's far enough that light doesn't really keep traveling. Uh, if you're at the bottom with a poke, shooting a flashlight up towards the top, you can't see the exit. So a fair ways down. Uh, there's some creature being held down there. At some point, they witness a two-headed goat being born and then uh, killed and dumped down there. Uh, around this time, they also figure out that these people aren't actually Amish. They uh, they exist in the area of the Amish community, and they seem to adhere to a lot of the same tenets and a lot of the same aesthetic, but they are not Amish. Uh, so our group of plucky protagonists do the intelligent thing and try to leave. <laughs> I really do want to give them credit for this. The number of times in these kinds of stories you find these people that just go, "Well, all of this is screwed." But you know what? How about another week? Yeah, we need, like we need to figure some things out. Like these people immediately go, "You know what? Let's let's not." <laughs> now it does. It still doesn't work out. But I want to give them credit for not being idiots. Uh. Margot gets briefly abducted at one point by supernatural forces and drugged slash possessed. This was horribly explained. Uh, what what we all come to understand eventually is these people believe themselves to be the keepers of the demon Asmodeus. They have discovered a way to restrain him by forcing him to possess one person who is appropriately strong enough, and then you add in some magical wards, a bunch of salt, which is a barrier. And we can keep Asmodeus confined into the body of one person, and he will not then wreak havoc on humanity. And this is all a good thing. And Margot's mother was set to be one of his vessels, as was Margot. Her mother just said, you're not doing this to my kid, and dumped her at a hospital. Uh, so... And she is, Margo has now been lured back because it's more than enough time for Asmodeus to need to be transferred. So they take her, they take Margo down into the cave system below the church, start the transfer process. But again, our plucky heroes have to show up and mess things up. 
At which point it becomes very, very clear that these people are not insane. They mm-hmm. actually do this. And here's Margot's mother that is uh, possessed by uh, Asmodeus. And they break the barriers, so she gets free. She chases them into the little village. All hell breaks loose, pretty much literally, because this is what Asmodeus does. Uh, Their sound guy is violently murdered in glorious Zack Snyder's slow motion. (laughs) I will yell about that in a second. Uh, They get chased around. They eventually do escape. So our heroes leave. Our closing segment is a couple of police officers showing up at the burning compound. And the demon Asmodeus, better known as Toby, because we just have to connect things, (laughs) has now possessed, uh, what was his name, Samuel, the original guy Mm -hmm. who they found. And he murders the two police officers, hops into the cop car and takes off down the road to commit more mischief. And this is where we end. This is where this franchise should end. And this is where my journey in towards alcoholism almost began. <laughs> yeah, Oof. this is... This movie sucks. A, I'm going to do a compliment sandwich. You can't find two <laughs> things. Do an insult sandwich with a compliment in the middle. That's about all you can do. All right, that's that's fair. An insult sandwich. Um, this is not a very interesting movie. Nope. Uh, it's very bland. Its color palette is very dull. I think they had a nice idea I will, of doing I will this. Almost, the... I will give them mild credit for the dull mm-hmm. color palette only because they came up with a plausible reason. If these people are trying to present as Amish. Right. Okay. I'll, I'll like If your budget is so low that you can't afford the color red. <laughs> and you have to come up with some reason for the dull color palette. I, I, he, he doesn't do the... I, I'm not trying to bash Zack Snyder, I swear. We don't do the Snyder thing where everything sepia tones for no reason. Right. It's the Amish in Amish country in midwinter. Right. Okay, no. Things are, things are going to be gray. <laughs> right. And and I give them credit for, you know, they, they, they chose a setting and an aesthetic and they went for it. But I... There are some people who might want to watch gray for an hour and a half. I don't. I would visually speaking aesthetically i was bored out of my mind yeah um, I'll, I'll completely agree with that these are not interesting or fun characters again i go back to the blair witch project where as they started to descend into madness um they they're it's fun to see some of the interplay and there's some really great memorable lines you know the, when the guy tears up the map it's like what why would you tear up the map none of that in this movie this is you know like the the boyfriend not a boyfriend is as dull as can be margo who i think is our heroine in this mm-hmm. she's like huh i wonder where i came from amish people seem interesting and then it's like all right that's all there is to her like i don't you feel i remember thinking about this with the first paranormal Archimedes movie as much as i think katie's kind of a bitch and the way that she treats the boyfriend is is not great to the point where i think i said on that podcast i was kind of like good i'm glad you got possessed you whore um (laughs) but i uh she was at least an interesting character and she had some definitive qualities about her that produced any kind of emotion in me i I will i also say at least somewhat in defense of katie the time Mm -hmm. the little bits that we do see of her before things go nuts she seems like a normal person yeah I, I think I talked about this with the 
during Long Road to Ruin how much I liked the second one because that that family was likable. Yeah. And I did 100%. not want to see them molested by a demon. And yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and lobster. Um, but that's the problem here is I don't care what happens to any of these people. Um, yeah, it, it's a the character writing here is a real like the closest we get to someone we loosely care about is the sound guy. Mm. And that's purely the force of the actor get, doing things that make you care and take notice of him. He makes bad right. jokes. Yeah. He's a bit of a he's a bit of a card. Yeah, I like the bit with him on the horse is really funny. Um, Can I just say very briefly about that? We need to distract our, this guy so we can get into the church. Okay, so he can give somebody riding lessons, and this can go a little bit sideways. And then they spend 40 minutes. <laughs> like, how long was that horse out of control for? <laughs> like, he rode into town with Tonto. And back. <laughs> and the Lone like that, Ranger. That was the... I, I, don't hate the, I don't hate the bones of the plan. I really mm -hmm. don't. Like, that's solid, but then... These people have no urgency about what they're doing. They yeah. like if they find the if that sequence goes, they get into the church, they move the pulpit, they find the hole, they see the contraption, and we're left this kind of eerie, like, okay, what what's going on here? This is wonky. Right. But we don't have time to really explore this. Our our lurpy friend over there is still trying to make this to keep this guy from figuring out what's going on. We don't have time to do anything else. We just have to, we're left with this sense of dread. Yeah. You know, like we know something's very, very wrong here. You know, I, I think that works better instead of, okay, th this horse just, you know, went on the Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> Made a left turn in Albuquerque. So anyway, decided to, <laughs> decided to read from Ulysses. So between dull on top of dull on top of dull, it was, you know, I, I jokingly said to you, I think at one point I just kind of gave up on the movie turn, you know, turn started watching porn on my phone and would occasionally look up if I heard someone scream. And you've, you, you do realize you've now hurt the monetization process. Again. <laughs> I said corn, corn by, in the rain. By ref, by ref, look, you can just call it adult material. <laughs> like find a euphemism. <laughs> I was looking at nudie books. I was, um, you, no, no, here, we'll just use euphemism. You were watching the euphemism. <laughs> that's right i was watching the euphemism instead of watching the movie that's how bored this made me um it's, it's a he, really uninteresting film it just yeah. is um so now the meat of my, my sandwich that i'm building the one thing about this i honestly thought the end sequence as stupid as it is was the most entertaining thing about this film and absolutely the, absolutely worth the watch like if i like, will I will go with you to an extent on that. I think there's, I think there's a, seal, I think there's a limit to that that they cross. Mm -hmm. But the chase through the field and the blizzard, and then we turn around and we see, you know, the sound guy get killed. I take again, I take issue with the slow mo, mm -hmm. but that setup is good. The creature yeah. chasing them is suitably, you know, yeah. right. It, it, it evokes a response. Well, it it, it kind of reminded me of like the Weird Al Yankovic parody of Smells Like Teen Spirit, like the video where Which is so much better than the original. <laughs> where the camera just pulls back and there's a guy running on fire this way and a guy yeah. doing a beach ball that way. And yeah, when we get when we get to the when we get to the compound and there's people chasing each other with sharp implements and somebody <laughs> running around without his eyes, somebody on fire. Right. Like, like literal all hell literally, hell is broken loose at this ha point. Have you that's ever that's great. 
yeah have you ever gone to like a cornfield or a haunted house around halloween mm-hmm. with friends it's that kind of feel it's just like you're you're in this very enclosed area that you paid money to go into and while you're in this like you know 40 by 40 square we're gonna throw all the horror at you so that you get your eight dollars worth and then when it's over you're like wow I got my $8 worth of horror. Every They just, everything on earth was running back and forth, you know, hot, wet, and on fire. It was great. Yeah, I, it, I think, it was utterly overstimulating and overwhelming. I think the problem this movie runs into in that sequence, mm-hmm. I think it goes a bit too long. Uh, not that sequence. It goes from that, this brief glimpse into the... Uh, utter insanity like that, apocalypse like that entire yeah. civilization we watched that little that, that civilization is a microcosm of a of a greater situ, civilization and mm-hmm. we watched it crumble in real time it was yeah it was fantastic yeah we go from that to them being chased through the barn right which is a sequence that goes on too long yeah it has one good bit in it when mm-hmm. they think they've escaped and the guy with the camera is looking over Margot's shoulder and then we see in the background the thing mm-hmm. find like start coming at them again. <laughs> and it goes oogity boogity. <laughs> uh, then, but it, that just goes on way too long. Mm-hmm. I, I like the idea that they get to the van mm-hmm. and they don't have the keys because of right. course they don't have the keys. Why would they? The other guy had them. Right. So they have to go get like I don't hate that as a a way as a way to avoid the standard stupid convenience of the keys are there. Of course they are. Right. Like there's reality. If you're the one with the keys to the vehicle and you died back there, Mm -hmm. guess what we've got to do. Right. Uh, But unfortunately, it just drags everything down a bit because they go get the keys. They what, come back and we repeat the same spots. What's weird is that this movie is 98 minutes. And so you and I are talking about like sequences that are too long. But I can honestly say like in the editing, like if they I'm sure somebody came to that conclusion. We can't be the two smartest men on earth when it comes to film. And somebody else went, if you cut any more of this movie, you don't have a 90 minute feature. Yeah, anymore. I, I, I'm I understand some of the problems that this mm-hmm. if you choose to shoot this script this is the problem you're going to face. And I don't know the best way to deal with it. Again, I'm, we're pointing mm-hmm. at the problem. I think ultimately with this film is that the foundation, the writing mm-hmm. is so shaky that everything else has nothing to stand on. So my second problem, my other, my other slice of bread in the sandwich that I'm building is your heroes are actually the villains, which I don't love. I think, let me explain I, that for okay. people who don't get it, and then you can debate me on the okay. point. These people, Amish or otherwise, are trying to hold a demon and don't have the luxury of the Ghostbusters containment unit. They're doing what they can. They're you know they're sacrificing a girl every couple of years or however long the time it takes for Osmodius to get free, so that they can keep this. Like they don't know how else to deal with it. They're a closed off society, and this is the best thing that they can do. And Yes, sacri- you know, killing a human being is wrong. See last night's yes, protracted discussion of murder and prostitution on last night in Soho. Murder, murder <laughs> is worse than solicitation. I don't, <laughs> I don't understand why this is. Look, if you want to discuss the moral relativ, not moral relativism. If you want to debate the uh, whether murder or sexual assault is worse, okay, that that I think is something that we can discuss. I think those are closer. 
I, those are closer just, equivalents. Just want to plug last night's podcast, which um, you should listen to. <laughs> but you know, it's you know, yes, the argument can be made, but but they were murdering people. Okay, greater good though. That you know, it's should we drop the bomb on a civilian city in Japan in order to end the war, or should we continue to fight fighter to fighter? And, and soldier to soldier and maybe possibly lose this thing or definitely lose an entire generation of men over the course of God only knows how long it's going to take to conquer Japan. No, nope. we'll to say nothing of like I, and again, you're bringing up a horrible question mm -hmm. and, I, and I don't, I don't mean like that. It's a bad question. I mean, there is no good answer. Right. To it's that a moral question. quandary. And, and that's why, like, that's my problem with this film. You introduced a moral quandary, did nothing with it, didn't even explore it, just said that it is. And then your people that you're supposed to cheer and hope don't get eaten by the monster upset the whole thing and cause even worse problems. At the end of the day, they made it all worse and got many more people killed than if they had just let the one person get killed. And that is ultimately my biggest problem with this movie is they... There was no. It there doesn't seem to be any forethought into what it is into the story that they're telling. It was just we want to do. You know, we want to reset this franchise. We want to do a thing where we're keeping a demon in a basement. We need a reason to keep the demon in the basement, and we need to somehow connect it to our protagonist. And then no other thought was put into this thing. And and it's like I'm watching this. I'm like, I. The, the real villains of this thing are these idiots that came to shoot this documentary who upset this entire culture, let a demon loose, and, and got a whole bunch of people killed. Why are I, Why am I watching this? Why should I care? Doesn't anyone think about what they're writing here? What is the point of all of this? Uh, I'm going to debate you in a macro sense, not in a micro sense here. Okay. That I find that setup can be done well. Sure. If you want a specific example, Cabin in the Woods. I haven't seen it, but I believe you. Well, let me then allow me to very briefly go through Cabin in the Woods. And if you do, I, I think you'll enjoy it if you do choose to watch it. The entire premise of Cabin in the Woods is that horror movies and horror stories are real. Mm -hmm. And they are once every so often, I forget the exact time frame, um, every culture has a series of potential horror tropes that they have to play into okay. doing so keeps these and so the question becomes why why is there this big underground organization across the entire world that every you know year every two years again whatever it is gets a group of people and in in tradition keeping in tradition with what are understood to be horror storytelling tropes has these people violently killed by whatever they happen to choose. And the answer, it turns out, is doing so prevents the literal end of the world because mm -hmm. there are the elder gods that live under the surface of the world and are kept at bay by these, by these ritual sacrifices. Mm -hmm. And the movie ends with the protagonist deciding not to kill the last remaining person. She could have survived. The final girl can or cannot survive, depending on, like, that's not necessary. But she has to kill her best friend, mm -hmm. who because everyone else has to die in order to stop the apocalypse. And she decides, you know what, if we can't find a better solution, maybe we all deserve to die and lets the end of the world happen. Okay, interesting. And again, you. so the point there is you can make this kind of twist work. 
you just need to do it in a radically different way. And mm-hmm. the entire setup for this movie and especially the entire the entire decision to go with found footage is going to radically limit your ability to deal with this because there's no way to organically discuss these things. I want to talk about one last thing and then I'll give then you can say what you need to say and we'll be done with this. Um it felt like it kept changing and I don't know if this is the right term for this but like aspect ratio I felt like we, we we were we were switching cameras constantly and then I think there were some shots that weren't an organic that that weren't a natural camera it was that it was the fourth wall showing you what was happening in a traditional movie sense and I was like could we make up our minds what we're doing here what yeah. is your framework that was driving me nuts then, it was like they forgot that this was a found footage movie at times and it was like can we just re- can we take the bones of this go back and just make a horror movie and leave the found footage stuff out of it because you don't because here's the thing I feel like we we fall into these traps in filmmaking we like we're the ones doing it they fall into these traps in filmmaking we're like we're making a found footage movie okay well it all has to be found footage then like why can't you just make a movie where occasionally someone's point of view is through a camera uh there's another there's another movie that starts out found footage but it actually does end in the traditional movie format it's a wonderful movie called uh, behind the mask the rise of leslie mm-hmm. vernon the original like like the first two-thirds more than that i think of that movie mm-hmm. is deliberately shot like documentary style because uh the hook there is uh a journalist mm-hmm. Uh, is contacted by a guy who says, I'm going to be the next Freddy Krueger. In in this world, Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, these are real people. Mm -hmm. And the course of the movie reveals that it's a little bit like pro wrestling, not in the sense that it's faked, but the guy says, you know, my name is Leslie Vernon. Here's my backstory. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go on a murderous rampage. And I've got all these gimmicks associated with it. You know, we're... Uh, we're going to do it at this apple orchard for this reason. And then you come to find out again, these people are real. Mm-hmm. So, and okay. So if Freddy Krueger's real, how's he killing people in their dreams? Well, he's got a way to do it. You know, a magician never reveals their secrets, but he has a way to do it. He's a real person. You know, ditto Michael and Jason and everybody else. And wait, so your backstory is not real. Shut up. Yeah. Backstories are fake, but what of it? <laughs> Yeah, my name's not Roman Reigns. My name's Joe, and I've got leukemia. Like, like it, <laughs> uh, and it plays wonderfully with that. Like, it, it's a mm-hmm. genuinely wonderful little film. But the finale, the climax, they abandon found footage and just shoot the end like it's a slasher movie. I feel like, um, wasn't it uh, the one where the kids get the superhero powers? Um, oh, Trank did that. Um, yeah, yeah the heck is that thing called you know what i'm talking about chronicle though. chronicle chronicle, chronicle. Well, didn't that start out like found footage and mm-hmm. then it becomes a real movie i i haven't seen it mm-hmm. i know it starts found footage i don't know about i i think there's a bit in i think there is a bit of it that is not found footage there came, it, there, there came a point where i i think starting out as we you know your introduction to these characters needed to be you know them shooting the movie but then i think you needed to take a step back from the camera and just do a horror movie and not be Agreed. locked into you know it was like we're going to do another paranormal activity movie. well it has to be all found footage and then those these cockamamie ways of getting around it and then it's like okay but they were they were legitimately legitimate opportunities to produce good scares here had they only had the wherewithal to abandon the gimmick they started with 
Yeah, I, I think part of the uh, you keyed into my I think what was going to be my last major gripe about this thing. It tries to uh, keep its cake and eat it. Yeah, uh, it. It wants to be found footage because apparently that's what it means to be a paranormal activity movie. Right. Like it can't just be a ghost movie. And it tries to get around the fact that it wants to do other things with, well, this is a professional film crew. Mm -hmm. So they've got good cameras and they've got drones. So we have overhead shots and one will have a guy say he actually shot B-reel footage that we can then insert into the movie. And he'll have the super slow-mo camera so we can do some shots with that. And then, yeah, like right at the end when Margot confronts uh, her mother, mm -hmm. we just go to a normal fourth wall perspective <laughs> for like that couple of shots before they knock her down into the hay baler. Right. It's weird and it doesn't make sense. <laughs> right. And, like found footage is a trick. I mean, it's a really tricky storytelling device. Mm hmm. And if you're going to do it, you have to commit to it with all of its flaws. And it's what made the first two, I think, in this franchise work so well. Right. Because they just accepted stuff's going to happen off camera. And we have to be okay with that. And I think in many ways, if that's what what the unseen terror is, what was producing the most scares. It was, you know, you hearing, you know, in the background. And you're going, well, who's being knocked down a flight of stairs? And then you turn and it was, boogity boogity, you know, like that sort of thing. But I think like the creating, creating the tension in the audience came from stuff happening off screen, not the oogity boogity that was running at you on yeah. camera. By the way, every time Katie runs at the camera, like the flash, I'm like, for one, I do this, ah! but I, you know, but also, <laughs> but also I'm just like, you know, like, like, we we can't do one of these without her running at the camera. You know, she has she has to have that run at the camera moment. Yeah, Hogan must pose and Katie must sprint. Yes. Um yeah, I this is not a good film. I don't really have a whole lot positive to say about it. Um I her think Hermione is just so trying so hard and swinging for the fences and I don't I mean have they like had legitimately something that would appeal to a big enough audience for you to want to commit to Paramount Plus. Like, maybe if you've got kids in the Paw Patrol movie, but you could have also just seen that in the theaters if you really wanted to. I I genuinely don't... Look, I think Paramount Plus is in a better position than Peacock. For And I don't say that just to dig at Peacock, which I can do because, it's, because it amuses me to do so. But Paramount Plus has some material that I think has a fan base. It has a lot of the Star Trek stuff that's right. over there. Like, there's stuff there that is potentially interesting to uh, consumers. You know, what's on Peacock apart from the WWE? Yeah, I mean, there's a Dan Brown series that some people oh, are working on are talking about. Do. But yeah, that's 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 not a reason to get it. <laughs> you know? Again, that, I, that, I that's if you have it, you watch it. Yeah, like, I think the only selling point for Peacock is professional wrestling content. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, that was a major deal. I don't want to get too much um, uh, off on a side tangent with this, but like Peacock really had nothing, and then it had the WWE, and that was the only reason people paid attention to it. Like, yeah. they, they thought things like the Save by the Bell uh, reboot <laughs> and Punky nope. Brewster and all that. Nope. You know, because, you know, because it's like, yes, there is a nostalgia culture, but the nostalgia culture is also very passive. 
We will yeah, do things that are easy that are easily accessible. If you actually have to make people work for it, they're not going to do it. L let me ask you a very serious question related to this because you've mm -hmm. covered the show that I'm going to reference. Yeah. If Fuller House is on Paramount instead of Netflix, anybody give a crap? No, no. First of all, there are things that I might have wanted to talk about on Peacock and Paramount Plus, but nobody has it. So we don't talk about those things. Yeah, there's. I uh, I think you and David at some point are going to talk about Lower Decks, which I <laughs> hang on. I only bring that up because I think Lower Decks is your kind of humor. Everyone, well, everyone told me Lower Decks is better than I think it is, and you know, and it has a good internet. Um, it has a good internet. Uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, Buzz fan base. Yeah, something like that. Um, uh, reputation. Reputation. That's what I was looking for. It has a good internet reputation, so I'm, I, I, we're, we're going to get it on there eventually. I got to get through. I got to get through you first and nine other things before I can get to Lower Decks. But it also has Picard. Um, mm -hmm. It has Strange New Worlds coming up. People, I, There are people who clearly watch Discovery because they're going into season four. I'm not convinced of that, but <laughs> I think they're just... I think they're just trying to keep Star Trek content out there, and I, I don't think... Just, I don't know anyone that... Let me did say I like this you, did about I tell you Discovery. I, I, I tried to get Jonas to watch Star Trek Prodigy, which is their Nickelodeon Star Trek show. He made it five minutes and came back in the room and was like, I'm done with this. Done. Yeah, I think, I genuinely think Discovery is something they keep going just to keep it going. I don't, I doubt there's enough return on investment in terms of pure finances to justify it, but. We joked last night that this show was going to be like the shortest show we've ever done. And we're It's almost, on track. We're. <laughs> We're almost at an hour, and we're still talking about the features, so I'm going to shut up now and let you wrap up your point. Uh, I'm with you in that I think this movie would have been better served to just be a horror movie. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't... You can still use the found footage in parts. Sure. Like, using it as a clue that something tense is about to happen, like, you do... Um, like, you use it for when they're asleep. Mm-hmm. Like anything during the nighttime, you do found footage. Anything during the day, you're a traditional movie. Yeah. Like, like you can still do this and have it work in that particular respect. I don't hate the setup for this thing. You know, Atavasm's mm -hmm. an interesting way to go about horror. And, you know, going into the, doing the full horror setup as well. Full horror is a real thing and it works sometimes and sometimes it doesn't. But, you know, c'est la vie. Everything mm -hmm. is like that. You could have made something interesting. And, I mean... I also think that there could have been some of that third act spectacle of the destruction of this little community that if you do it in a traditional setup instead of found footage might even have been more terrifying. Mm -hmm. So ultimately a lot of missed opportunities here. This feels like they're just trying to keep the machinery turning over. And now that they're releasing these on Paramount plus, I doubt they're going to get this kind of return on investment they need financially. Mm hmm. There's only two ways to continue going forward with this franchise if you wish to do so. One, plot out a bunch of movies, write, and I mean plot, get a writing team together and write them out so we're not doing the slapdash movie to movie. Right. Two, abandon any hope of connecting these things together and have them only be connected right. by theme 
and a little bit still using fa- the found footage gimmick, not mm-hmm. not old, not exclusively necessarily, but having do, it be present. Do what they were gonna do with Halloween, you know, starting with season of the, the ori- Witch. yeah, the original plan. Yeah, have these be ma- in the loosest sense take place in the same universe, but have no connectivity. Right. I think that's the only way you can potentially save it at this point. I mean, do you don't have, I don't literally mean Scooby-Doo, but literally like do like a ghost hunters kind of a thing. So they're running around with like pro camera footage. Like they're like, they're, they're actually poking at the ghost. Like, you know, like, Oh, we're in this haunted house. Ooh, oh shit. It's for real. You know? Yeah. The, I still want, I'm with you. I want one of these in a, a prison or a mental facility. Right. Like there's ways to still go about this, mm-hmm. but you can't keep doing what you've been doing to this point because no one cares anymore. You know, found footage has, it's a storytelling device. Consequently, it will go in and out of Vogue. It's, Mm -hmm. it's fallen out. Now you need something else. You can, again, you can still sprinkle it in, but you can't lean on it like this. Here's, here's the last thing I think we should, we should briefly like 50 words or less talk about the thing that also works with, with found footage is the, um, getting your audience to suspend their disbelief enough that this could conceivably have been real. Like yeah, that was one of the things about the original, uh, mm-hmm. right? Like, the th- original and Blair Witch project, both share Blair Witch project, both share that commonality in that it had convinced some people that these were, this was actual found footage it's where the term comes from. Yeah. The, you know, uh, and they need to kind of go back to that. The original, uh, the the two lead actors from the first Paranormal Activity, like occasionally would get recognized on the streets after they filmed, like, "Oh, you're still alive." <laughs> and then, then this lady playing Katie just chasing people through a Walmart parking lot. I, you know what? I hope she did at some point. <laughs> just like just just, on just once or twice, like somebody recognizes her across from a parking lot, and she just goes into the. <laughs> Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, awesome. I, look, I would. I'm not gonna lie. If if I'm ever in that position, I mm-hmm. absolutely, I would terrify small children <laughs> and chase them. <laughs> it would All right. amuse me to no end. So as uh, as we were saying, we did do the first four paranormal activity. Um, so to, to tell you a little bit how the sausage is made here, real quick, as we transition to the next uh, segment. Um, about the end of spring, beginning of summer. Uh, Actually, the, the middle of spring, so we were talking about we were, we were as a group of podcasters talking about, um, you know, all the old po- all the old blog talk radio rattling broadcasting network shows. And, you know, there was a lot of talk about like we have so much content. There are so many things that are like trending on Twitter at any given time. It wouldn't it be nice to have had all those old shows that we can use, you know, to try to get people to find the network um by attaching the twitter trends and stuff like that and i said yeah we have we have so with such a large archive but i don't have access to it anymore i can't like if you go to my blog talk radio account which had been shut down for a few years now all that stuff is dead content i can't get any of the players to play and they were like maybe you should and i'm like i don't know how so i ended up contacting blog talk radio and they were like yeah you got to restart your account and then we'll give you back all the data i went oh so i so i did and since then, um, starting, I think, late May, early June, we have been re-airing tons of old stuff. Um, in that was the series of, you know, was the Long Road to Ruin franchise review series that Sean and I did. And we had Pan on, we had Robert on for a bunch of these. Gavin was on for a bunch. Ben was in there here and there. Um, and we did it for a couple of years before we, we gave up mm-hmm. on it for a while and started to do other stuff. In any case, 
Um, one of the early ones because Sean was like, "You got to watch more horror. Let's find horror that isn't gross." <laughs> and I went, "Okay, sure." He was like, "Hey, ghost movie," and I'm like, "All right." You know, like I bet you're gonna really like Paranormal Activity, and, and I did. The, like I said, the first two, I enjoyed talking about all four movies and going back and re-listening to them. I really enjoyed the discussions. Um, but the first two movies I legitimately enjoyed watching. The first one still gives me the creeps. The second one doesn't creep me out as first, much. Dude, that first the, one still like unnerves me. It, that remains, I think, one of the most effectively scary movies I've ever seen. In the yeah, sense that shot for a buck fifty. Yeah, shot for nothing. But mm -hmm. in the sense that if the mark of a genuinely scary movie is that it scares you after you leave the theater, mm -hmm. uh, that that is like tops. I, I watched that on a night that my wife and kids were either like not spending the night somewhere else or just out late. And I was home alone. And by the time <laughs> it was over, I was like, oh, <gasps> you know, I, I watched it with the lights on. <laughs> I watched that in the theater. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I went, I paid to go see it. And mm -hmm. Uh, that night, like, I know my way around my house in the dark, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like I I've gone around it enough at this point that, you know, I could do it blindfolded and mm -hmm. not run into things. I was, anytime I got up, like, okay, <laughs> lights, all yeah. the lights. Yeah, I, I think when I went to bed that night, I had... And that, that tree outside my window that on. gets that tree outside the house that gets blown and occasionally rattles against the wall. Like, the next day, I went out with a uh with a bow saw and okay we are trimming this <laughs> so sean has remarked that in the early years of the long road to ruin um you know listen this this is not you know we're not doing pbs here both of us can kind of amp it up and be a little pro wrestler on this and i still continue to be that way robert has watched me go into any number of conniptions on you know on a podcast to do it for laughs you know am i doing a Feel character Feel free to listen to our review from last night of Last Night in Soho for another example of this. Um, and am I doing a character? No, I'm still me. I'm just kind of turning it up because I want people to laugh and be entertained and enjoy our discussions. Um, Sean has, over the years, kind of reflected back on that and said, probably could have done some of those better, a little less a little less kitschy, a little less sticky, and a little bit more serious. And so I gave him, he couldn't be on the, um, on the show to review Paranormal activity next to kin tonight but i wanted to give him um the opportunity because because we talked about redoing some of the old long road to ruins like we're going to do spider-man at the end of the year but we're going to do it differently um he has talked about like high on his list of redos is paranormal activity so without further ado i gave him an entire segment a pre-taped segment that we're going to go to momentarily of his revisitation uh sort of a mini long road to ruin solo sean show of the Paranormal Activity franchise, movies one through four. I hope you enjoy it. Time to wake the dead. Paranormal Activity is back, baby. After 15 years dormant on the sidelines, Paramount's one-time tentpole Halloween franchise has returned to theaters with Paranormal Activity next of kin. Now, time will tell whether this ends up being a tepid, half-hearted, failed resuscitation or a miraculous revival, but in the meantime, now's as good time as any to take a step back and look at the first four numbered franchises in the series. Why just those? Well, back in the day, those were the four movies that we reviewed on one of our flagship podcasts, Long Road to Ruin. And... Now comes a bit of a confessional. 
I made an utter ass of myself, and I have long wanted another shot at doing these films justice. The thing is, I showed the first two movies their appropriate due, but when it came time to the third and fourth, I devolved into playing up exaggerated baby rage with all the enthusiasm of a horny howler monkey barking at the moon. As a result, I came across as an asshole, not a critic. No, they are not always the same thing. And unfortunately, in doing so, I robbed the movies of a thoughtful, intelligent examination. Then, about six months ago, I happened to go back and listen to the six-part franchise retrospective by James A. Janice and Chelsea Rebecca on the Dead Meat podcast, which, by the way, is superb, and I 100% recommend that horror fans of all stripes go forth and check out their full body of work. They broke everything down so meticulously and so objectively that I couldn't resist going back and giving all half-dozen movies just one more look, one more fair chance. And I was stunned at how my views have changed with time, maturity, and some much-improved mental health. Turns out, I actually love the first movie even more than I ever have. The second one hasn't aged so hot. I still think the fourth is a messy, embarrassing clusterfuck on many levels. And as for Paranormal Activity 3, <laughs> calling it a complete 180 doesn't quite do it justice. But without further ado, let's go back and take a fast look at each of these four movies. Back in 2009, writer, director, and co-producer Oren Pelly's Paranormal Activity absolutely stole the show at American box offices. Seriously, this film grossed over $190 million on a $215,000 budget. Produced by Blumhouse and distributed by Paramount, it was really a genius marketing campaign that set everything in motion and allowed this outstanding film to be seen. Instead of your instead of your standard shotgun campaign, Paramount instead chose more of a touring approach, focusing on exhibiting the movie wherever, wherever online requests to see it piled up the hardest. In turn, commercials focused on the shocked, jump, aghast jump scares of real audiences in the dark, scared out of their wits by a found footage movie, probably for the first time since seeing the original Blair Witch Project. And that's where things become even more remarkable. This is not the Blair Witch Project. These aren't shrieking hipsters sprinting through the Maryland woods, cramming handy cams up their snot-bubbled nostrils. There's no maps being kicked into fucking rivers, no spontane spontaneous scream singing of the national anthem. No, this is a tight, one-set movie 
centered on the escalating haunting of a single young San Diego couple, Mika Sloat and Katie Featherston, played by actors of the same name, playing fictionalized versions of themselves. And this in turn is also remarkable because in all honesty, you could watch these two and never think for a second that they're just playing at being a couple. The chemistry is outstanding. They're believable right off the bat. And even if Mika isn't always endearing, they're at least relatable and feel like people, not caricatures. This isn't a slasher movie. This isn't exploitation. The scares are down to earth, the kind of phenomena that you would probably imagine yourself experiencing if you yourself were, were spending a lot of time shut up inside of a haunted house. There are no gigantic, eight-foot-tall CGI eldritch demons emerging from flaming holes in the floor and spouting, uh, spouting unknowable tongues. No. These are slamming doors, thumps in the night, mysterious disembodied footprints, sheets that billow as the entity crawls into bed next to Katie, some truly frightening and almost unsettlingly disturbing sequences in which Katie is yanked straight out of the bed by her ankle and screams as she's dragged down the hall. This is simple. Whether you believe in ghosts or not, the actual occurrences feel believable. They feel plausible. But the scares don't even really take center stage. In fact, they're used more than anything else to continue to ratchet up the mounting tension, suspicion, and dissension between the couple that really becomes the centerpiece of the movie, leading right up to its violent climax in which a possessed Katie flings Mika down the, down the hall and into his precious camera stationed at the foot of the bed. There are no real elaborate shots. Rather, Paranormal Activity largely focuses on taking a handful of shots and throughout the course of the movie, training you to be made uneasy by those perspectives as one incident after another becomes increasingly dark, disturbing, and violent. It is a perfect, low-key, well-contained, found-footage movie and proof that the motif can indeed work. We even have an ending that, depending on how the movie would have done, managed to either set up a conveniently laid sequel or just serve at serve as a classic campfire-style The Killer Remains at Large to this day cliffhanger. Well done. Well done. Paranormal Activity 2? Not quite so much. This movie quickly becomes a mess. We pivot from Katie Featherstone to a few months beforehand and the tale of her sister Christy. See, Katie and Christy are well familiar with the, with the kind of phenomena that Katie has been experiencing because they went through it all as kids, oftentimes reluctant to speak about it as, as adults. It left such scars on them. In this film, Christy is a brand, 
is a brand new mother and also helping to raise a teenage stepdaughter. Things start to go south fairly soon after an apparent break-in right after her son's birth. The house is ransacked, everything's in mess, in utter disarray, but only two things are missing. A box of Katie and Christie's home movies stored in the basement, and a bracelet that Katie had once made and given to Christie when they were children. From there, it's more of the same, and unfortunately, not. A sparse shot selection is instead traded in for a rash of rotating camera angles courtesy of a fully stocked elaborate home security system installed after the break-in and the constant convenient cycling through from one viewpoint to the next only leads the movie to feel more and more like a carefully directed studio blockbuster not a cobbled together documentary of crime scene footage produced by Paramount with the assistant of the Carlsbad California Police Department as hinted at in the movie's opening. It just feels so much less authentic and that really isn't helped by the fact that for the most part for about half the movie the family doesn't really take any of the phenomena seriously. In fact, much of it is spent with them laughing, joking, and not and really barely finding anything to be amiss at all. Much like Mika in the first movie, the father is also guilty of incessantly gaslighting the women in his life, refusing to believe that believe anything they say or even try to prove to him with shots from shots from the camera. It's not quite as obnoxious and toxically macho as Mika, but it's still irritating nonetheless. It takes about half the movie for the scares to really find their footing, but I will say this. When they do, they are more violent, more aggressive, and more creative than in the first movie. Of course, owing to the fact that, like a good sequel, this one had a much beefed up budget. This continues pretty much up to the climax in, wh in which Hunter's father makes a bizarre deal with the entity to pretty much scuttle off and go and harass Christie's sister instead of Christie, thus bringing an end to Christie's possession. However, in the final scenes, we catch up after the events of the first movie and find Katie invading Christie's home and mur home murdering Christie and her husband, absconding with Hunter, and leaving Allie to, according to the aftermath, find her parents upon returning from a school trip. Once more, we set up for another sequel. And once more, the sequel takes a step back. In fact, back to the myths of the long-ago time of 1988, when Katie and Christy were but fresh-faced girls. Yes, this is where the activity all began. Paranormal Activity 3 goes all the way back to show, to show the full extent of the hauntings that up to this point Katie and Christy have only whispered of throughout the first two movies. And let me tell you, I owe this movie an apology. 
There was so much that I never gave its due just because I sat there and obsessed over cool-looking moments from the trailer that weren't included in the final theatrical cut. That's why, when given the option between reviewing the theatrical cut and watching the extended cut, I decided to go with the one that I saw in theaters years ago. I wanted to truly be fair to it this time and give it a retrial, and I was not disappointed. The, a the aesthetic of the 80s is captured fantastically, right down to the film grain look of Katie, of Katie and Christie's wedding videographer, would-be would stepfather, and his VHS-based equipment. Once more, we're more focused on the family being unsettled, truly shaken by what's suddenly going on around them after one bad earthquake interrupts an ill-attempted sex tape by Katie and Christie's mother and boyfriend. On the ensuing tape, the boyfriend sees something that physical science just can't explain. Debris falling over the tall, invisible apparent shape of a human. Well, or at least something resembling a human. From there, the entity increasingly takes a bolder and bolder presence in their lives, becoming more and more violent much faster than in the previous movies. The scares are inventive, the shots are limited because we're not working with remote surveillance technology this time. No, quite the opposite. It's just a uh, man's big, clunky, classic cinder block size VHS camera. And, of course, another camera ingeniously jury-rigged to an oscillating fan. And let me tell you something. That last one didn't get near the credit it deserved the first time around because it led to some truly inventive, entertaining scares. This is genuinely unsettling, low on goofiness, and just one excellent scare after another, leading right up to a more brutal, sinister, violent, and extended take on the kind of climax that we got in the first movie. In the, in the end, Katie and Christie's mother is dead, their father is dead, and she's led away by the entity, now known as Toby, and, the, and their apparently occult-entrenched grandmother. Unfortunately, that leads us up to Paranormal Activity 4, and, oh god, it hurts. It hurts, it hurts, it hurts. From here, we pivot back to the present day and the Nelson family in Nevada, who through some means that's never entirely explained, have managed to adopt Baby Hunter from the first movie. They encounter and briefly take in a small neighborhood child roughly his age when his mother, as we later find out, the still possess very much possessed and still very evil and very not nice Katie, is taken away to the hospital one night. Once the boy is taken in, Toby takes root. And, well, the scares are decent, but unfortunately they're overshadowed by flaws including dangling plot threads that are never resolved, a 
creepily oversexualized teenage daughter, her sex pest pervert of a boyfriend, horrible, horrible, horrible parents whose sins include not only gaslighting, but drugging their daughter with sleeping pills, and an ongoing question of why are we even filming any of this this time? There's no suspicion. There's no real curiosity. Everybody is just going about their business. But here's this teenage girl running around just shooting everything with, of all things, her laptop. We get a half-hearted rendition of the close of Paranormal Activity 3, complete with a bigger coven now setting up shop down the street. Once more, pretty much everybody is dead by this is dead by this point, either by the coven's hand or simply Katie's. And we would move on through two more movies: the excellent Paranormal Activity, the marked ones, and the equally stupid Paranormal Activity, the Ghost Dimension. And that's it. Overall, not a half bad batting average. We're talking about, let's see here, of all six movies, three excellent ones, one that was mediocre but still enjoyable, and two absolute embarrassments. Look, for proper perspective, consider the fact that in eight movies, the Leprechaun franchise didn't produce one that could objectively be called good. Thank you for sticking around. I'm Sean. You're not. Thank you to Mark and Robert for enlisting me. Thank you to James and Chelsea for inspiring me to give Paranormal Activity another chance. And I really hope to hell Next of Kin is good. See you around. All right. Uh, and that was brought to you by Grammarly. Grammarly's AI-powered products help you communicate more effectively. Yes, indeed, they do. Uh, Mark, do they help you write better on anywhere that any place on the web, such as they, LinkedIn, they, Twitter, Facebook? They do. Grammarly helps you write mistake free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, as you just said, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. And with that, <clears throat> here is the critical, such as it is, review. Are you ready? And today, the critical review is brought to you by AmazonMusic.com. Robert and I like music. Do you like music? We like music. And we like music when we don't have to pay for it, especially. Well, as it turns, <laughs> True. As it turns out. Look, guys, there's no downside to free. Nope. Um, as it turns out, we are giving away a free 30-day trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited uh, service. If you click the link in our in the description of this podcast, it is getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network. Again, getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network. You'll be given a free 30-day trial of the service. You can download all the music you like. 
Um, we're getting into Thanksgiving and Christmas season. You know, if you want to listen to All I Want for Christmas is You, but you don't want to pay for it because why would you? You can use the Amazon Music service and listen to it for free. If you are wow. like me, <laughs> just of all the of all the songs and all the songwriters and performers you could have chosen for that spot, you went with Mariah Carey. I certainly did, Ollie. And if you're like me and you like Ooh. to ride around the holidays on your Christmas donkey, hee haw, hee haw, you can download uh, and stream unlimitedly Lou Monti's Dominic the Italian Christmas Donkey. Yeah, you see, Mark keeps telling me this is a thing. I refuse <laughs> to believe it. But you are welcome to search Amazon's extensive library and potentially prove me wrong. All right. With that said, yeah, this, this movie didn't do well. Uh, has a 23% critical uh, score, so it is way rotten. Oh, um, I... Okay, I hate to ask this because it's a technical thing. And I don't wish to disrupt your flow, but we are no longer on screen. Oh, shit. Hang on. <laughs> Oopsie. There we go. <laughs> Thanks, Robert. Thanks for paying attention. Good looking out. Um, all right. You know, I, I do want to say just very briefly before we get into these, uh, the reviews specifically. Yeah. If nothing else, that is an awesome poster. Which one? Uh, it, it's got the play symbol over it here. Okay. But if you look, yeah. if you look at the. That's a good poster. It's all right. It's all right. I kind of like the Midnight Mass one that we used with the uh, the raindrops over the church. Oh, yeah. that's another good one. Like, I'm just saying, if the if the marketing team for this movie made the best out of what they had to work with, that's a that's a pretty good that's a pretty well put together little horror poster. Uh, nobody liked this movie. Not the critics. Not the audience. Not nobody. Not know how. The critics' consensus is Paranormal Activity Next of Kin gives the long-running found footage franchise a new level of visual polish. Unfortunately, effective scares are few and far between. Not um, and the audience has no perspective. <laughs> it's just nothing. The audi- uh, hold on. Scroll back up for just one second. I, I yeah. wish to go over this. The audience score is only at 39%, and they have, they're listing it as 50-plus ratings, but that only means it's somewhere between 51 and 60 like people nobody saw this to give it a review um okay let's see here rob rector of film threat well the characters i are got a di- threat for you <laughs> well the characters are dumb audiences will still be roped into the story especially because of the isolated setting do not speak for the audience sir you <laughs> are not one of, uh again i don't hate the setting look it, it's a it's believe it or not, kind of a fascinating bit of Americana that there's a few places, uh, again, places in Missouri, Pennsylvania, a few others where the Amish exist. And yeah, I mean, there's a gag line from the office because um, Dwight Schrute is related to the Amish or the Pennsylvania Dutch. And he has a cousin who his line about him is despite being raised a mere 60 miles from uh, downtown Scranton, he has ne- he does not speak English and speaks only Dutch or German. Or I forget me exactly what it, I forget exactly whether it was Dutch or German, one of the two. And that's not inaccurate to reality. I mean, again, it's played for laughs because it's a comedy, but that's real. Those people are real. That culture is real. You could be very very close geographically to cities and you know, modernity but be horribly isolated 
in every other capacity. And I do find that to be an interesting uh, setting that they could have played more with. With which they could have played more, I think would be more grammatically correct. Since we are sponsored by Grammarly, I should be more accurate about that. Hey, maybe you should use Grammarly. It's my spoken, this is the spoken language, not my written word. My written word is usually a little bit better. Nate Adams of The Only Critic. Only, you, sir. The Only Critic. Uh, William Eubanks' Paranormal Activity Next of Kin doesn't have much resemblance to the six previous entries in the mega-popular micro-budgeted franchise, and maybe that's its greatest strength. You know, again, there's a degree of truth here. Had this leaned fully away from some of the ties it tried to make to the rest of the franchise, it would have been stronger. Yeah. Um, Not sure I'd call it mega popular, just for the record. (laughs) It's got its fans, and I tend to count myself among them, but I wouldn't say, I would not go that far. Jack Bottomley of Starburst. Landon screenplay thrives best in the subtleties. It's mythology building and some strong scares reliant on that heard but not seen barring glimpses. Okay. No. Like, did you, did you... Okay, look, there's one moderately tense scene mm-hmm. where Margot sneaks into a bedroom and then, like, the only scare that sequence gives us is when she's hiding under the bed, somehow not seen despite having a light on her camera, very evident by the way that... Very evident by the way that shot and the fact that it's throwing shadows. To give away if you ever think something's shot in the dark, are there shadows? Um, and then something lays on the bed above her, and then we look up there, and it's empty. Like, okay, that's a little bit unsettling, but like, even what was supposed to be a shocking sequence where the old lady winds up actually like trying to peel potatoes, and she's just peeling her own hand. Yeah, that was gross. That that got a jump out of me. And you are a weenie. <laughs> so, but we, we knew this already. Uh, I I don't. I, I'm not sure. I agree with that. I think the best scares that this thing provides are in the finale sequence when subtlety is more or less abandoned. For you can't call something that's blurry subtle. Okay. This movie want, goes. Okay, go ahead. I, I just want to address the under the bed thing. Um, there is a style of adult entertainment that features many women getting stuck underneath beds, um, underneath in, tables, in, in, in windows. Lo- in the dryer yeah yeah i i I do not consume of that particular material as a general rule Mm -hmm. i mean like adult material generally hence my new name (laughs) which i told you i was going to do yeah i I, funny thing is 20 minutes into the podcast is when i noticed it i'm sure (laughs) uh i am aware of that subgenre's existence and all i can think about during that scene was this is the setup to this is the setup to a scene of that type of entertainment you sir are a dirty old man i am so uh for those of you in the adult entertainment field know that we're going to be now looking for amish men and young girls stuck underneath beds and mark will be happy to write your ad copy because he has done that in the past i certainly have ollie uh and i got paid for it too speaking of which megan navarro who gets paid speaking by of getting paid <laughs> top, <laughs> top critic no longer bound by tired mythology, Next of Kin presents a new supernatural mystery through its most polished effort yet, if it only included tension and scares too. You know, again, scares I think might wind up being a little bit subjective because there's some stuff in that final bit that definitely is meant to be horrifying. 
the tension building and lack thereof is i think the biggest problem with this movie if we're going to look at it as a horror movie more broadly it's what it, it's when this franchise works that's what it does best it builds tension mm-hmm. in some in some almost unbearable ways like you you're watching some of these sequences and you just you're white knuckling a little bit like just get it over with because you know it's coming and this movie in particular does fail pretty heavily to establish tension in any kind of real way. Uh, Chris Evangelista of Slash Film. Paranormal Activity Next of Kin asks a question, and that question is, do you think Amish people are scary? How is that what you came away from this with? <laughs> He's trying to be funny. Look slash film buddy you, you probably got you probably made your bones writing slash fiction and that seems to be the upper bound limit of your writing capabilities i am reading this one because of the publication in which it of was featured. course you are <laughs> owen gleberman Giebel, 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 there we go owen gleberman of variety that, eh? that rag that is less useful than toilet paper yes sir uh next of kin is the is like midsummer meets breaking Amish meets the Blair Witch Project 50 Shades of Dark. Wow. You know, I get I gotta look you in the face when I say this. I get on you all the time because I am sharing the news from Variety. I am not sharing an editorial piece, and you go, eh, Variety, I wouldn't wipe my tushy with I it. wouldn't I would not <laughs> smear my fecal matter on that <laughs> publication. That's true. But, you know, like missing the entire point of they were reporting news. It's kind of like when people get mad at like the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal for the the news they're reporting and not the editorial page. The New York Times is a former newspaper, not a current one. Anyway. (laughs) God God damn it. You expect me to get for pizza? Anyway. Um, I don't know if that was the right sound effect there, but I needed we'll something for that line. Yeah. Anyway, my point being, this was the first time where like I welcomed your ridicule of variety. That was terrible. It's a, it's a terrible outlet. It's a terrible website. It's a terrible everything. Seriously, go back up and scroll back up again, and let's just desperately try to cobble together what this poor schmuck is saying. Mm-hmm. He's equating this movie to a more recent, better folk horror movie, that Midsummer. Breaking Amish, the uh, I believe that was an A and E reality television show, right. where it was like it was like following kids who were left on Rumspringer. Yeah, they, they were. Fo- I think they were following them during Rumspringer. Yeah. Then equating the Blair Witch Project to the middle member of that particular trilogy, Fifty Shades Darker. That's a real thing. I thought he was doing a Fifty Shades joke. Uh, have you not? Okay. Do you not know the trilogy about Fifty Shades? I know Blair Witch, and I saw. Um, there's actually a funny story that goes with this, but I won't tell it now. Um, I saw the second Blair Witch Project where they had a budget, you know, and it was a major motion picture. Book release. of Shadows. I didn't know there, I, yeah, I did not know there was a third one. No, there isn't. But no, no, I mean, he's making a reference to the third Fifty Shades book. Oh. All right. I mean, moving on. I, <laughs> and to, now to I've be, gone and, and to be clear, I have no earthly idea where this guy decided this had anything to do with the Fifty Shades <laughs> franchise at all. 
All right, that's actually going to be our last one because the rest of these are all rotten. Everyone seems to have come to the same conclusion that that we have by and large. Hang on, Owen. (laughs) How do you arrive at a positive review when three of your points of comparison are not good? All right, folks, that wraps up our paranormal, our exhaustive paranormal activity franchise review from beginning to end and only missing the marked ones. Um, we, we have done it all here and I am glad to put this series behind us. So, um, onward. Much, like that, much that like ominous shape looming behind you right now. Right. Ah! Um, <laughs> look, that works better if you, if you can't see yourself on camera and like, I, I can say, like, see you and you can see first, me. But that was not... my first reaction. I'm just like, he knows I can see nothing I know. behind me, but whatever, anything for a gag. Um, <laughs> here comes Katie. <laughs> Can I tell you what a wuss I am? There was part of that thing that Sean just showed where he used some of that footage and they had to look away from the from the computer. You are a wuss. <laughs> Big weenie. Um, anyway, moving on. Tomorrow night we are reviewing. Um, we actually had a big had a bit of a change in the schedule here. We're gonna do two shows tomorrow. Uh, Dark Side of the Ring season three B. Myself and Pat Mullen will do that at noon. He's not available Thursday, so we're gonna do it tomorrow. In the evening time, we're doing Ministry Moral Hygiene. Um, again, another shift in the schedule. Friday morning, we're going to re-air our Chronicles of Riddick Long Road to Ruin uh, show. And then in the evening time, myself and Robert Winfrey, we're going to be doing an ode to the cinema. Yes. Be- Mark, Mark and I will ascend from the doldrums and from the muckety-muck wherein we usually conduct our business. We will don smoking jackets, monocles, top hats, uh, obtain Mark will have a snifter of brandy at his disposal, and we shall discuss the high class cinema I that was may, released in the year of our Lord 2020. I may eat caviar and crackers on camera. I ha- no, you won't. You will eat. <laughs> hang on, you will eat crackers. <laughs> Not a huge fan of crackers, but I was like, like, maybe just have a maybe just have a like a lobster just right in front of me. It's <laughs> just eating the lobster as we do as, as we do you this. as you lament the fact that Pinchy is not here to enjoy this with you. <laughs> um, and what an obnoxiously rich food. Maybe like a like a fifty dollars steak or something. I'm like, mmm. <laughs> savored <laughs> anyway we are we, we all oh, to say <laughs> i need you know what if i had a top hat <laughs> i would wear it for this oh my god this suddenly became cosplay <laughs> i know be... <laughs> neither of us are gonna do it because we're that's who we are okay, we you know what no planning. no 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 i might I, I might wear a suit <laughs> if you get dressed up i'll get dressed up for this okay i'll do a suit <laughs> I, I will I will throw my suit on that Friday evening after I get done with SmackDown, and I will sit here in a suit and tie, and we will discuss this. <laughs> Sounds great. Um, I'll wear a sombrero. <laughs> I own a sombrero. That's why I'm going to wear one. Look, if you wear the sombrero, you have to also wear a poncho. If I can find one on short on such short notice. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> oh, so wait, so someone left us a comment about this. I have one you can borrow. Perfect. Nice. <laughs> All right. Thank, on. thank you, sir or madam. I'm. I tend. I know our audience tends to skew more masculine, so I'm going to default to sir and apologize if I'm incorrect. What we're what we're talking about here is doing a triple feature on Nomad Land, Mank, and the Father, which which is coming out the same day as the Eternals. Like, I, we 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 really nailed that. Um, well, look, we we went for. On the one hand, 
one of the crowning achievements, uh, allegedly, of Chloe Zhao's career in the form mm -hmm. of Nomadland, and then the movie that might destroy it, The Eternals. <laughs> I was going to say, the one that might end her career. Saturday is our review of um, our re-airing of Pride and Prejudice and Zombies in the evening time. I will be joined by Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, and Daniel Lasby to do uh, a live stream alternative commentary for Canelo Alvarez versus Caleb Plant for all the super middle middleweight models. And then Sunday morning, uh, as Dexter is going to be premiering, Dexter New Blood is going to be premiering on Showtime, we will have Robert's re-airing of Everyone Loves a Bad Guy, Dexter, which I guess you did with Samarkati, is that correct? That is correct. All righty. Um, that's it for now. Uh, we'll have more. And we'll have next a week from tonight. The next damn you Hollywood will be Eternals. And then we're and skipping. Boy, I, boy, are we going to like Mark? I have to ask you, like gimmickry aside, because we, we've the Eternals have been a long running point of jokes back and forth in our in various chats featuring mm -hmm. us. I just have to ask, again, gimmickry aside, Stone Cold Sober, you to me, and the dozens of people watching, we love you all. That's going to suck, right? It's certainly looking that way. <laughs> I... I mean, again, we haven't seen it, so I will not call you some kind of liar or hypocrite mm -hmm. if you see it and actual evidence changes your perspective. I'm, gonna, but... I'm going to approach this the way I approach any movie I see with my children. I will go with their opinion. If they're, if my son walks out of this thing, he's like, take me to the comic book store. I must find books with Icarus in it. Then, okay, this movie has succeeded where others have failed. If my son walks out of it the way he walked out of Dune, or God forbid, some of these other movies I've taken him to, where he's just like, but, 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 father, but father, for why? That, you know. I, I promise, Father, I will eat my peas this evening. Don't put me through this again. <laughs> if you could just stop taking me to the movies, that would be great. Um, I, I see it's going to go one of two ways. My kids are going to either love it and they're going to be like, "Oh my God, this you know Marvel wins again, home run," or my daughter will sleep through it and my son will ask, "What have I gone? Where have I gone wrong in my life? What have I done that my father keeps dragging me to this car?" <laughs> Please, I want to know what I. I just need to know what I did to not to avoid this horrible, horrible fate. <laughs> How can I change my life so that uh, I you I won't be tortured? I want to again. follow the. I want to follow the rules. Just give me the rules. Yeah. So anyway, so as far as other damn you Hollywood this November, um, we got the Eternals, and we're skipping a week. We'll do. We're we're doing movie reviews. We're going to be doing a triple feature, but but specifically, um, damn you Hollywood because we did two this week. So we got Eternals next week. And then we have uh, Skip a Week, and then we have Ghostbusters Afterlife, and then we end the month with two. One for Unconto, and then the other one for Resident Evil. Welcome to Raccoon City, you son of a gun. So hard not to curse. Um, all right. Uh, only, look, that only speaks to you as a person. Profanity, <laughs> profanity is just a weak mind trying to express itself forcefully. That's me, trying to force myself on others. <laughs> <laughs> much like much like studios at the end of December. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you don't get the, if you don't get the joke, listen to our last night in Soho review and you will understand. <laughs> like they're just cramming it all in like a turducken, like a turducken. Uh, Speaking of turduckens, go ahead Churchy, do your plugs. Turducken and Churchy. Okay, you reach for that one, but okay. Uh, I cover professional wrestling a few nights a week over at 411mania.com, AEW's Dark Elevation on Monday, uh, MLW's Fusion Alpha on Wednesdays, and WWE SmackDown on Fridays. So if you're interested in my thoughts on those, please give them a listen. 
I cover mixed martial arts action in the MMA zone of 411 Mania. Last week, UFC 267. Darn good show, pretty much top to bottom. Only a couple of semi-dud. Only one dud. One real dud. Everything else was at least watchable. Uh, including a fight of the year contender. Uh, and a genuinely feel-good moment in the main event. Because who doesn't love watching a 42-year-old man climb the mountain and become the UFC light heavyweight champion of the world? Uh, this week will be UFC 268, featuring two title fights and a fight so good it should have five rounds for as long as it's going to last. Because Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler theoretically are still going to fight. I say theoretically only because uh, there was some news that started circulating a little bit that there might be some health issues with Chandler that could do something to that. And I'm hoping they're just rumors or that they get sorted out before then, because just engaging and Michael Chandler are going to fight. Somebody's going to die. So you can tune into my live coverage of that. I also host the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast in addition to my podcasting duties over here. If you want my thoughts on mixed martial arts, the news, the fights, my analysis, give that a listen. I deeply appreciate all of that. And yeah, this Friday, Mark and I are going to try something a little bit different. We'll talk stuff that uh, the critics liked rather than the stuff that gets wide releases. And I will also lay out some of my, my thesis about why I dislike the bifurcation of cinema as it is currently going. And we'll can get into a little bit of that as we talk about those movies, one of which uh, destroyed my soul just a little bit in the good way. So All right. Tune in for that, everybody. And that's it for us. We are out of here in less than 100 minutes. For once. All right. Thanks for joining us here in our review of Paranormal Activity Next of Kin, our revisitation of the first four movies. Uh, for Sean Comer wherever he may be. And for Robert Winfrey and for me right here, I'm Mark Rattledge. Be well, be safe, and behave.